So this time on Life According to a Metal Dad, I'm going to be talking about my firstborn's first metal experience at the Anthrax concert that I took her to. I'm also going to be talking about my own experience at the Prong, Sepultura, and Testament show that I was able to attend with my wife. I've got a couple big talking points that I want to kind of hit on throughout the show, um, one of which is the significance of the role of women in metal today, and the other is I'm going to be doing metal history a little bit differently. I felt that I was ripping off on the sound of the beast a little too much. I don't want to repeat Mr. Christie's words, as amazing as the book is, and as informative as it is, I want to be talking about it through my own experiences and my own take on things. So I'm going to do that a little bit differently and kind of make it more personal to me. And before I get too much further into it, I do want to apologize to everybody. I had an interview with Zoe from Insatia, and somehow the file got corrupted. It's all fucked up. I can't use it. I'm pretty pissed off about it. But it's my own mistake because I didn't have a dedicated backup file. So I'll take that one. That one's on me. But I do want to talk about their upcoming release in the next few minutes. Cue the music. So I took my oldest, Layla, to the Anthrax show back in April, and it's been a long time coming, and I've meant to do a piece on it, and I'm finally getting around to it, but it was significant enough that I was willing to come back to it even after all this time passed, and I'll tell you why. So we get down there, it was at the Wiltern in Los Angeles, about a two-hour drive. It's the first concert that just me and her were able to go to. It's her first metal concert that she's ever been to, and she was more excited about it than I was, which is pretty awesome. I got there early so that we could do the whole meet and greet thing and all of that shit, and we sit in line for about two and a half hours. I actually went live on my own personal Facebook just so Layla could rub it in her mother's face and tell her how excited she was that she finally gets to see the band that she loves. And at this point, she isn't very diverse in her metal lexicon. And the only other artist that she gets as passionate about metal-wise is Dio. And we all know that that's not going to happen for her. And she's got to take what she can get. And at that point, it's Anthrax. So anyway, we show up for this meet and greet. She was excited as hell that she was finally going to be able to meet them and I was excited as hell because, one, I get to meet a hero of mine that I've looked up to as a guitarist and as a metalhead for most of my life in John Donay. And not to take credit away from everyone else, but I grew up in the metalcore era 
Shadow's Fall was pretty much at the pinnacle for me, and the things that he was able to do with them really left a lasting impression, and I wanted to be able to shake his hand. I was also super excited that I got to give this new experience to my kid that she wouldn't otherwise have. But at the same time, she has borderline anxiety issues, and throughout the whole hour or so from the time we got in the doors to the time we actually met the band, she was excited. But in the seconds before we were actually going to go up and take our turn to see him and take pictures and stuff, she just all of a sudden wanted nothing to do with it. And you can handle this multiple ways. Some people might drag her up there and say, all right, well, you're never going to get this opportunity again. Fuck it. I'm taking you up there. Or you can take my approach. And it's that this is her first experience at a concert venue. And I don't want anything negative to come of the day. It was her day. She controlled the pace 100%. And I didn't want anything negative to happen because I don't want her to look back at when I get tickets for the next show and be like, well, I had a fucking shit time at the Anthrax concert because my mean ass dad made me go up there and fucking shake these strangers' hands and shit. So even with all the money that I spent on this, the more important thing to me was that she have a good time there. So I had her sit in a chair and I went up, got my picture taken, got a bunch of my stuff and some stuff for her signed, even though she was protesting it. And I really had a good time with it. Frank was a fucking sweetheart the entire time. He saw her meltdown when we were waiting to go get seen. He thought that they had scared her off and all of this and all of that. And I, you know, I told him that wasn't the case. You know, she's got some anxiety that she deals with and she just wanted to sit to the side. And he was like, oh, okay. And even towards the end, when I was wrapping up with them and shaking everyone's hand and stuff like that, he lost track of her for a second even though I could still see her out of the corner of my eye sitting in the chair. And he was ready to drop everything and help me go look for her, which I thought was awesome. You know, these guys are still people. They have families of their own. And that parenting instinct just doesn't shut off. It's always there. And, you know, I thought that was just really cool of them. You know, Frank Bello always, I've seen, has had a reputation as a really good guy, as you know, someone who stands by his fans and just that little interaction, it just really made me hold him in a much higher regard. So anyway, we get done, we go in, we get to our seats. I got us spots on the balcony because as much as I wanted her to be part of this, I didn't want to have to deal with her being anywhere near the pit or huge crowds of people or anything like that that would freak her out or potentially hurt her. And then we waited. The first act was Code Orange, and I had heard of them only because of this tour. I looked into them a little bit, and I was amazed at the fact that their drummer is also their vocalist, which is fucking crazy to me, but pretty cool at the same time because it's so unique. And it wasn't gimmicky at all. He was solid in his performance as both a drummer and as a vocalist. Layla really liked them a lot, too, because of their pretty lights, which, which I guess is still a win in any case. She absolutely hated The Devil Wears Prada, and I'm not that big a fan of them myself, so 
we ended up going out into the lobby and she ended up basically making a fucking circle pit in the damn lobby. People were walking around and she was just, you know, spinning around and jumping and fucking doing whatever her heart told her to do at the time, I guess. But she was having fun and that's all that really mattered to me. And, you know, I wasn't in it for the compliments by any means, but I lost track of how many people stopped, shook my hand, told me that it was awesome that I had her here, so on and so forth. So I guess I'm doing something right. And to give you guys a little snippet of how fucking hardcore this kid is. So Devil Wears Prada finished their set. We went back in getting ready for Kill Switch to play and I could tell she was tired. So I let her have a soda. We usually don't let her partake in the caffeine or anything like that because she's a fucking nightmare to deal with when she's all hyper and shit. But I figured, you know, this is a special occasion. She's got a late night ahead of her, so I might as well. So I did. And about halfway through Killswitch's set, they go into Rose of Sharon. And for those of you who aren't familiar with their music, it's a fucking really fast-paced song. Starts off quick fucking doesn't drop the pace at all throughout the entire thing. And that's when she chooses to fall the fuck asleep of all times. I look over and she's eyes half closed, fucking throwing the horns up. And I look back over 30 seconds later and she's fucking dead to the world. So I wake her up. I see if she wants to maybe go out in the lobby and take a nap until anthrax starts or what she wants to do. And she told me that she just wants to go home. She's tired, and even though she wants to see them, she's too tired to do it. And with my whole philosophy going into the thing, I left. To this day, I still haven't seen Anthrax. She still hasn't seen them live, but the most important thing is that she got taken out. She had a good time. She still talks about it months later, which really says something to me because her attention span is shit because she's a six-year-old. But ultimately, I think I made the right call as much as I wanted to see them. The night wasn't about me, and ultimately it was a success. So after the concert, in the next coming days and weeks, it was life as normal. Went back to doing my album reviews for Mix Down. I was still jamming with the kids in the garage. Layla's still showing an interesting guitar. Nothing really else to report there. But about two and a half weeks later, the wife and I went to go see Prong, Sepultura, and Testament. And I would have to say that that is the best indoor show that I have ever been to. And I don't say that lightly. It was an amazing set. Prong, Sepultura and Testament all did a really good job of putting the crowd to use for them. They just really set the tone early and kept it going throughout. My wife ended up developing a fascination with Prong's drummer just because he was basically doing this thing where he was juggling drumsticks with one of the crew members. He would throw one to him on the side of the stage, crew member would throw it back, and he would still fucking stay in beat. It was just really cool to see. I'm sure if you looked it up on YouTube or some shit, someone's got a video of it somewhere. But anyway, Sepultura, I was kind of wary about, I guess. I'd never seen 
Derek Green live. None of my friends had seen him live. And all that I could see on him on the internet was, oh, fucking Max Cavalera was the fucking best. Fuck Derek Green and all this bullshit. So I didn't really know what to expect. And needless to say, he is an amazing vocalist. And his physical stature really lent to his whole stage presence as well. He's a fucking huge guy. <laughs> but yeah, in all seriousness, it was a good set. I really liked it. I like their new material off of uh, the Machine Messiah album that just recently came out. I've seen a lot of fucking shit on that as well, and people just have this unnatural hate for it, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the show, so I mean, not really much else to go on that. And then there was Testament. So I went into this Testament concert with only three songs that I really wanted to see two of which were off their new album, Brotherhood of the Snake. One was the title track, the other was The Pale King, and I wanted to see them play Into the Pit live because, frankly, that's what I know them from. That's their fucking trademark song, to me, at least. And they played all three of those in, like, the first five songs of the set. So the rest of it was just all soaking the experience up after that point. I mean, I could have already died happy seeing them. The whole fucking drum set that Gene was on was fucking ridiculous as well. I'll put up a picture of that on my website and my Facebook page for all of you guys to see. It was just unreal. He had this whole shiny-ass, chrome, spiky fucking rack that he had all of his cymbals on. He was on this fucking podium that had to have been six, seven feet tall at least. It was just a really surreal experience. and. Anyone that has paid attention to my personal tastes, at least, knows that Gene Hoagland is pretty much at the top of my list for best drummers of all time just because of his command over his instrument. It's really one of those things that you have to experience. I was half expecting the fucking floor to cave in because he was beating on those motherfuckers so hard. It was just awesome. Another one of my idols in Alex Skolnick completely didn't disappoint. I love watching him play. I love just listening to him talk about playing, the passion that he has for his instrument, and just for learning is astounding. And it really makes me respect the guy so much more that not only does he have this unnatural skill, he has an equally unnatural willingness to learn more and better himself continuously. And it's really awe inspiring. And as all good things must, the show ended and we headed home. I will say that for the entire three-hour drive, I was pumped. I hadn't really experienced Prong that much before the show. I had heard a couple of their songs. Sepultura, I was really big into in high school and kind of fell out of. And once they announced the whole Machine Messiah album and all of the airplay it was getting on the Sirius XM liquid metal channel and all of that, it really made me re-interested in Sepultura again. So I was blasting all of them on the way back as well. It might as well have been an, a concert in my own fucking truck. This high school taste of music, so to speak, is something that I really kind of wanted to hit on on this episode. Like I said, I'm not doing the metal history lessons as I was before. I'm trying to think of a better way to do it to where everyone is informed, everyone learns something, and I want it to be from the heart, not just 
read from a book. So I kind of wanted to talk about the early 2000s when I was coming across all of these bands and stuff and what the atmosphere was like then. So I can't really pinpoint an exact band or an exact song that got me into this. I mean, all into this like I am now. But I will say that one particular genre really had more influence than any other in this time period, and that was metalcore. And I know I'm going to catch a lot of shit for this because now everybody fucking hates it or whatever, but anyone that was alive that listened to any type of metal in the early 2000s had a metalcore band that they liked. If you say otherwise, I'm calling bullshit right now, and I'll explain why. So. We had bands like Trivium, Heaven Shall Burn, Shadows Fall, Kill Switch Engage that all came up around the same time and all of them had this similar vibe. The best I could translate it is grunge is dead. Fuck you. We're bringing metal back. I kind of wanted to point out a couple particular songs that kind of hit home for me in this time period and First and foremost, Pull Harder on the Strings of Your Martyr from Trivium is still one of my favorite metalcore songs and also one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. And I'll share it with you here in a couple minutes just so you guys can make your own assumptions on it. But this whole metalcore movement really advanced the genre as a whole. Guys like these that I mentioned before, they were attracting younger listeners that weren't around in the late 80s, early 90s when the metal movement first was gaining headway. And what it did was it exposed us to this new style of heavy music. But at the same time, we could see the artists that these guys were influenced by, like the Metallicas, the Slayers, and the Megadeths, and the things like that. And we could go back and we could look at these bands and see the similarities and become fans of them as well. As a matter of fact, the first Slayer song that I heard was Bloodline off of the God Hates Us All album. I was like 13, 14, and it was still relatively new to me, and I just heard the intro to it, that fucking slow sinister, diminished feel that it had just immediately struck me as fucking evil. And then the lyrics, the drums, everything. I mean, it wouldn't compare to things like the South of Heaven album or the Rain and Blood album if they were released around the same time. But for the time period that it dropped and the audience that was listening at the time, it was the perfect way to get started on Slayer. So this whole metalcore movement, though the genre hasn't really persisted, it really opened up a lot of young people's eyes to this heavy music. And that's why it holds so much weight, in my opinion. Not necessarily the quality of the bands that were coming out, even though early Trivium Heaven Shall Burn, Kill Switch Engage, and the others that I mentioned were amazing bands. What they represented was so much more valuable. And I'll give another example why. So 
I already talked about how it bridged the gap between older and newer bands. Then comes Killswitch Engage's Holy Diver cover that they did, and it was phenomenal. So phenomenal, in fact, that Dio himself was moved enough to appear in the music video. And once again, you have all these young kids who didn't know who the fuck Dio was. They just see this guy and they're trying to figure out who the fuck he is and why he's so important to be in the video. And then they realize the history that's behind it and what these guys are doing and actually accomplishing by featuring songs from these older artists. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you all a taste of the best of the era, in my opinion. Here is Pull Harder on the Strings of Your Martyr from Trivium.
now, at this point, I'm sure each of you can understand where I'm coming from. Even if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But you can get where I'm coming from when I talk about metalcore and the forcefulness that it came into the fold with. But I don't want to take away from other people that were trying to make this kind of impact as well. What I mean by this is the new metal people. Now, I don't make much mention of them simply for the fact that I like my guitar solos. I like this faster feel. Not saying that I don't like you know, bands like Korn, Slipknot, because in all honesty, I really do. But what they did didn't really nod back to the bands of old that had yet to make a comeback of significance. And the metalcore guys really are, to me, what bridged that gap and ultimately sent us back in time to rediscover these thrash icons and death metal icons that they looked up to when they were coming up with their song ideas. And I'm actually kind of curious to hear all of your thoughts on the matter. I want to know who you think helped usher this resurgence of metal that we've seen since the turn of the century. I'm actually incredibly interested in hearing as many perspectives as I can on this. Because this is ours. This is not of one person. There isn't one opinion that is the end-all be-all. It's a compilation of all of our interests and all of our opinions. So I would like to get the complete picture for myself just as much as I want to help people who don't know as much about this art form. But since I pretty much said everything that I wanted to on the subject, I kind of wanted to take the opportunity to talk about current issues and things of that nature. Mostly because I am a fucking moron and didn't back up the interview file that I was going to use for this. But there were a lot of good talking points during this interview that I kind of wanted to bring up and talk about a little more in depth. So pretty recently I had the privilege of talking to the incredibly beautiful and incredibly talented Miss Zoe Federoff of Insatia which is a symphonic metal band for the most part based out of both Tucson, Arizona and Canada as, as their members stem from both nations. And it was ultimately, it was a really good chat that we had. It was probably about a half hour and we talked about parenting. We talked about our music tastes and our outlook on life and where we see the metal scene as of today and where we see it going in the future. And quite frankly, it seemed more like a chat between two friends than an interview itself. But one thing that really stuck out to me, at least, was her perspective on how women are treated in metal. Being as which I am not one, and I have no experience with that perspective of things, I found it pretty intriguing, and I also caught myself pretty much engaging in, I don't want to call it hurtful behaviors, but definitely ignorant ones. And I just wanted to share what I learned through the conversation and by looking at myself with the rest of you. And I kind of want to open up a dialogue because this isn't something that's going to be an important issue later. This is an important issue now with the rise of female metalheads 
showing up in more numbers than ever before, but yet they're getting treated as less than in a lot of cases, and I'll get to that here in a minute. But first, what I really want to do is I kind of want to talk about Zoe herself and how she carried herself throughout the interview and a little bit of background on her, because I think that there is a major benefit to seeing the human element of music and of the artists that we appreciate and respect throughout the industry. So expect to see more of that in the future with a lot of the interviews that I conduct later on. But for now, Zoe really was this bubbly personality that that definitely displayed that she had a great passion for what she does. We talked about what people think of artists that are trying to make it that aren't quite at the point where they're living off of their work yet, that are still holding down day jobs and still working towards professional goals outside of music just to keep food on the table. I also learned that she had received vocal training from Fleur Jensen of Nightwish as well, which is a huge accomplishment in my opinion. A lot of people look at Nightwish as the pinnacle of symphonic metal, so to speak, and to have that kind of opportunity really has me excited to see what they're going to be doing in the future if someone like Fleur was willing to invest their time in her to teach her and to guide her professionally. But it was when we were talking about Fleur that we really got to the most major issue, in my opinion. We were talking about her pregnancy and how she just recently had a baby and it's cool to see her growing her family. And I stumbled across several articles in, in which I see the comment section I always go through because personally I think it's the most entertaining part of any article. But I see a lot of people that are pretty much writing her off because she had this child and, oh, the child's going to get more attention than her art is now. We're not going to get the same night wish that we got before, not even giving her the chance to go out and show them that she still has it. The fact that she has to reprove herself is the core of the issue that I'm going to be talking about. For a long time, men have dominated the metal industry, and this is a fact at this point, but with its rise in popularity and with its push towards the mainstream, it's attracted a lot more listeners, a lot of which are females as well. You've got bands like Arch Enemy, you've got bands like Nightwish, you've got several others that are bringing young girls into this community. But even with this rise in popularity, there's still a huge amount of skepticism where female-fronted acts are concerned. And getting back to the whole thing with Fleur, I pointed out that we can see a male artist destroy their life on drugs, go into rehab in and out multiple times, and the response that we see is, well, I hope they get the help that they deserve. I can't wait to see them on the stage again when they're better. 
so on and so forth. But when you take a female artist who is doing something to further their interests in life by expanding their families or things of that nature, they're met with this resistance. And it's kind of mind-boggling to me. We have this whole untapped demographic, so to speak, of people that will buy metal albums, that'll go to shows and things like that, and we're completely disregarding those that they look up to. So what I'm going to be doing, at least on my own end, is I'm going to be looking for ways to help put them on the same stage as much as I possibly can. And now I'm not going to just spam a bunch of female artists on my page or feature a bunch of female artists on my podcast or anything of that nature just for the sake of doing it. No, what I'm talking about is a lot more fundamental, so to speak. From here on out, I'm going to take a couple small steps just to get people to try and follow suit. Just small things that can make a big difference added up. For example, I'm never going to refer to a band as a female-fronted band unless it is 100% necessary to distinguish that fact. Because ultimately it should be about the music. Whoever's fronting it shouldn't fucking matter, period. Any artist that's willing to further the metal genre as a whole is what it should be about. It should be about what they're doing, not who they are. Secondly, I'm going to give people the opportunity to show me what they have before I pass judgment on them. We aren't doing any favors to anyone by just shitting on someone because of something that happened that might not have to do with their profession. If you made some mistakes, have to go to rehab, and have to come out, cool. I will give you the opportunity to do what you want to do on stage and then determine if you really are back in it or if you really phoned it in. If you want to expand your family and take some time off, this is your job. This is your life. Do what you have to do. If you don't want to come back, that's completely fine too, because ultimately I'm not the one that's up there on stage, it's them. And if they do want to come back, once again, I'm going to give them the opportunity to show me what they have before I pass ill judgment on them. But if you want to be a total dick to bands that are touring with you, don't want to feed them, but you want to take all the food for yourself, so to speak, that's where I'll have an issue. When you are harming this community, that's where I take issue. You could be the most shit artist ever and have genuine passion for what you do, and I will respect you tenfold over someone that may be a phenomenal artist that really doesn't care about what's going on in the community and what those that are trying to get to the same position they're at have to go through. Now, on that last one, a lot of you might pick up what I'm putting down. I'm not going to call anybody out in particular, but... If you're up on current events, you should be able to figure it out on your own. All that I'm really suggesting in all of this is that anybody who is willing to go up on a stage, anybody that's willing to live in the back of a van for weeks at a time and starve themselves just to have a chance at making something happen as far as a music career, should be given the opportunity to show us what they're about, to get on stage and to perform before we pass judgment on them. But with that, I'm going to step off of my high horse and talk to you about why I was interviewing Zoe in the first place. 
before I came to all of these realizations, and it was because of her band Insatia. Symphonic metal has always been somewhat of a guilty pleasure of mine. I appreciate anybody who has a command of a skill, whether it be playing guitar at 220 beats per minute with fucking face-melting solos and deep growling vocals that are only a handful of people can accomplish in a satisfactory manner, or the angelic and harmonious type of singing that we've become accustomed to in the whole symphonic metal subgenre. And what I have to say about them is their new album, Phoenix of Flame, is out as of June 23rd. I was given the opportunity to preview the album a couple months ago, and it is utterly phenomenal. The rhythm section was incredibly striking, but at the same time, you had this calm, soothing effect of Zoe's voice cutting through the mix. The album itself is incredibly rich and harmonious, and it just has this very welcoming feel to it. But that's just my impression. Right now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come up with your own opinions of their work. Feel free to talk to me about it on my site or on my Facebook page, which would be MetalDadPodcast.com or Facebook.com slash MetalDadOfficial. So without further ado, this is We Are the Grey by Insatia.
Once again, that was Insatia's We Are the Grey off of their new album, Phoenix of Flame, which is out as of June 23rd. So go get it. Even if you don't like it, you're helping someone's dream come true. So I don't mean to sound all tacky and shit, but it's definitely worth the buy. And that's all she wrote. I've got some goodies planned for you next time as well, but I'm holding those close to the chest. Stay tuned for an announcement on it. This is life according to a metal dad. <laughs> 